Always love coming back here. Um, so many old faces, a, a few new ones, uh, which I always enjoy seeing. Um, but it's always good to be around old friends. Um, but I'm humbled by this passage. Um, honestly, when uh, Michael approached me about it, um, went through and was like figuring out which dates I could commit to it. I was like, well, this thing in mid July, um, this first Peter 4 thing looks pretty cool. And then I started reading, and I was like, oh, my gosh, what did I get myself into? Um, so, but the Lord is good. Um, had his hand faithful um, to help me prepare my heart. Um, just get out, get out of the way of this text and just let it um, work into my heart. And hopefully it'll work into yours too. So I'm going to read it um, and then we'll dive in. Again, it's a weighty text, um, especially I think in light of what we've seen the church have to go through recently. Um, you think about nine people dead in Charleston in a church. You think about um, a Supreme Court ruling that has kind of knocked us back um, on our heels a little bit. You look at ISIS's work and their persecution of Christians in the Middle East. You look at um, black churches burning. Um, and you look at places, and, and it's easy to see that um, the Christian life can be really hard at times. And so that's why we have passages like these um, to help us keep our heads up, um, to help us keep our hearts up, our eyes on the Lord, and faithful to the end. So I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pray. Peter writes, Dear friends, when the fiery ordeal arises among you to test you, don't be surprised by it, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, rejoice, so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of His glory. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. None of you, however, should suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but should glorify God with that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household. And if it begins with us, what will, be, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So those who suffer according to God's will should, in doing good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. It's 1 Peter 4, 12-19. Uh, let's pray. Uh, dear Father, um, or if we're thankful for your grace, uh, thankful that we can come together. Um, Lord, as a body, we're thankful, um, the Lord, you have provided your protection for us to meet here. Um, Father, that you have blessed us with community. Um, that Father, you have um, called us together as a body. Um, you've given us your spirit. You've given us your grace. You've given us salvation through Christ. And those are all gifts that we don't deserve because, Father, we were as far from you as the east was from the west. Um, but, Father, you brought us back. Um, and so we thank you, um, Lord, just for every good gift that you've given us. I pray, uh, Lord, for our time here. 
Uh, Lord, I just pray that your word speaks to us, your word works into us. Um, Father, may your spirit open our ears. Um, Lord, just listen to what you have to say. Um, and Father, help me to speak as I ought. Um, Father, help me um, to teach correctly. Um, and Father, just have your way uh, as we just sang. Um, so we thank you, uh, Lord, just again for this time. Um, we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. So this passage is literally all about suffering. Um, it's more than that, um, but basically Peter has been talking to, talking to basically a group of people in Asia Minor, scattered group of, of Christians, and basically telling them how to persevere in the faith. Um, so he's reminded them of, of the promises of who they are. Um, and so now we're getting to the outworking um, of what that looks like when the world comes against them because they're not of the world. Um, and so basically Peter's message to the people scattered in Asia Minor is Christian suffer well. That's what it boils down to. Um, and he starts, he starts at the top. He says, when the fiery ordeal arises among you to test you, don't be surprised by it as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, rejoice. That, to me, forms the kind of the cohesive first thought of what Peter wants to get across, is that in your life you need to stand ready to participate in the sufferings of the Messiah. Um, The word he uses there for fiery ordeal in Greek is literally the burning. So it's not something that's that's pleasant. Um, And I think it lends, and he's going to get to this a little bit later, but I'm just going to throw the thought out here right now, is that it's not something that you should enjoy. Um, it's not something that's going to be pleasant. Um, it's not something that um, is going to feel good um, because it's, it's the burning. It's something he's kind of alluded to um, when he's talked about your faith being refined by fire back in, the, back in chapter 1. Um, but he, he talks about the sufferings of the Messiah. Um, and I think as I was preparing this, I thought, it, I thought it might be good to go through kind of like what Christ went through. Um, and kind of outline for that. So Christ on this earth, um, how he suffered, um, he was hated, uh, he was threatened, he was insulted, he was slandered, he was ostracized, he was sold out, he was betrayed, he was convicted on false evidence, he was rejected by his own people, he was abandoned by them, he was mocked, beaten, and tortured. And then when there was no other way for him to suffer, he was finally murdered. Um, and when we say, when Peter says, share in, the, share in the sufferings of the Messiah, this is what it looks like to share in the sufferings of the Messiah. Um, this is what it looks like to live as he did, and this is the response of the world to him. Um, and so, and the, the crazy thing about it is, and it still just blows my mind, is that he took all that, and he was innocent. He was completely innocent. Um, first, Peter's already mentioned that he, was the, he suffered as the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous. Um, and so, for us to be called into that, that's a hard thing. Um, and as Christians, 
as we come to this text and, and we see that that's what Peter is essentially telling you is like, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. You're going to share in the sufferings of the Messiah. So consider your call. Consider your call as a Christian um, and ask yourself, are you ready for this? Um, basically, that's, that's Peter's implied question is, are you ready for this? He's saying, be ready. Are you ready for this? Um, Jesus himself has already alluded to this in John 15, um, that we are, who are in him are promised suffering. Um, and so, we, basically, we, we participate in the death of Christ by trials, is what it boils down to. Um, Paul alludes to this in 2 Corinthians 4 and Philippians 1. Um, and it's good, um, and that's where Peter kind of sets you up. Um, the good thing about Peter is he doesn't leave you there. <laughs> because otherwise, the Christian life would suck, right? Sorry about that use of that word. It's probably not the best word to use in the pulpit. Um, but it would be really terrible. The Christian life would be really terrible if all we were doing was just suffering. Um, because, like, well, we have the name of Christ, and so we must suffer. That's a terrible life. Um, and Peter understands the fact that it doesn't stop there. Um, and so that's where you get to kind of the second half of verse 13. Um, and that's where, and that's where the gospel comes in, pretty much. Um, let me read verse thirteen real quick. As you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, rejoice, which is an insane thought. Um, so that you so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of His glory. So for Peter, the strength to the strength that we get for persevering through suffering, for suffering through. Basically, looking at Christ as an example and saying, this is what our lives going to look like if we profess Christ. Where's the hope in that? Where's the hope in that? And so that's where the gospel comes in. And so we rejoice in our suffering because of the victory of Christ, past, present, future. And so we rejoice in Christ because 2,000, well, for us, 2,000 years, but Peter very recently at that point, he went to the cross despite all that. And not only that, but took God's punishment for wrath. God's wrath is punishment for our sin and endured faithfully and died on the cross and then was raised again in resurrection and power and glory and hope and life. And then he was raised again and ascended to heaven is exalted at the right hand of, of the Father. And so that's where our hope for suffering comes from is because in Christ we have that same reward. We have our sins taken away because he went to the cross and died um, so that we can have eternal life. And for Peter, the resurrection is huge. And I think it's something that we don't talk about enough, but the actual, like, the raising of the dead confirms all this. Like, without the resurrection, Paul talks about this a little bit earlier, um, and I believe it's, it's one of the Corinthians. I can't remember which right now. Um, but he talks about if Christ isn't raised from the dead, we are of men the most to be pitied. And so because Christ was raised from the dead, we have victory because he has promised that those who confess his lordship and confess him as the savior of sins get to be with him um, at his side. And he is, he's given us grace, he's given us life, he's given us victory. And it's not only that, though, um, that we have Christ in the past sacrificing himself for our sins, but we also have the future victory that Christ will attain when he subjects 
all things to himself when death itself is put under his feet, when all the world is going to see him, and he will receive glory finally and truly because he will physically be present. There he is. And those who are in Christ will rejoice and receive vindication at his side for their faith in this life. Um, Paul says it well in Romans 8, because we get to participate in this glory as well as we are called to him um, and we get to reign with him. We suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And he'll say later in 2 Timothy, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And so you have the past victory of Christ on the cross, being raised from the dead. You have the future victory of Christ still coming. And so those two things should inform how we see our salvation in the present time. Those two things meet us here by saying our sins are forgiven by Christ's sacrifice and we are awaiting future glory with him forever at his side. And so for him, the gospel is huge. The gospel is key to suffering. And he reminds the people he's writing to about the gospel because it should inform and ground our hope. Our hope is in the gospel and nothing else. Our hope is in Christ and nothing else. Um, because it's, it's on his back, it's on his victory that we can that we can even say these things, that we can even say we have, we have a hope through this life, um, through this suffering. And so it's not only that, but um, it's not only that because we also have one more thing um, that I also don't think, um, at least I don't realize enough, is the power of the Spirit. Um, and keeping us there and giving us the desire to endure and inducing endurance within us as we go through suffering. Um, But Paul nails it right on the head. It said, If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And um, basically the glory that we're going to receive eventually and the glory that we indeed have some part now is because of the Holy Spirit, because he's been given to us as Christ said that he would not leave us alone, but he would give us a helper. Um, and so that helper not only helps us to endure, but it's a promise of glory. The Spirit is a promise of future glory that we will one day have. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, I was thinking about that as like, should we, like Peter says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, um, you're blessed. And should I think, can I not at least be insulted for the sake of him who gave everything for us so that we might have everything? Um, that's, the, that's the question. Um, that's the question that, that raised in my mind, and I pose it to you as well because it's a question worth considering. Um, if that's the least of our sufferings, is it not worth it to be insulted? Um, and we're not, and I think it's also important to see that we're not blessed because we're insulted, but because we have the Spirit, who we have because we carry the name of Christ. Um, and Paul puts this here, I think, as a guard, and he's going to get this in the next verse. Um, it's because you don't go looking for ways to be insulted for Christ, as if it's the insulting that gives you glory. The Spirit gives you glory. The insulting is merely because of the name of Christ. Um, and it's not insulting that says, I am someone. Um, and so it's a guard against self-worship is what it is. Um, and so the Spirit is upon us as we suffer, working to sanctify us and glorify God. 
Um, one commentator wrote, and I love this quote. Uh, I'm going to read it to you all. It says, It is only by the power of the Spirit that one finds the resolve and strength to live an uncompromising life in a society that is hostile to one's fundamental convictions and values. One's willingness to suffer rather than compromise indicates the inner transformation of the sanctifying work of the Spirit that has set one apart as a living stone in the spiritual house of God. God has not abandoned the Christian who suffers. To the contrary, God is powerfully present in the experience of suffering for Christ. Indeed, His presence is the greatest gift we can receive. Um, and I love that we mentioned this in song, um, but we sang the name of Emmanuel, God with us. And He was with us in Christ. He's with us right now in the Spirit, in each of you together as we're gathered um, as the body. He is with us, and His presence is the greatest gift we can receive. And so, in all this, Paul is kind of setting a framework um, for kind of a, of a mindset of how we go about when we suffer. Um, but he's kind of introduced this idea of not being insulted, not being glorified, not having glory because you're insulted. And essentially, it's basically when we suffer, we don't want to shame, we don't want to shame the glory and calling of God. And that's the theme of the next couple of verses. Um, Paul basically goes through this laundry and says, none of you, however, should suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler. So Paul's already laid out how the Christian life is supposed to look like early in chapter 1. It says, be holy as I am holy. That's the life that God calls us to. And so as we suffer, we need to be present in the fact that we bear the name of Christ, that we bear his spirit, and there's honor in that, and there's glory in that, and that therefore we are representatives and ambassadors of him and of that glory. And so, when we suffer, we need to make sure we're not suffering for sin's sake. Because our suffering is a holy suffering, um, meant to glorify God. Um, But it's also true that we can suffer as a consequence of living sinfully. What is the outcome of being a murderer or a thief? Is generally like prison time or a trial, at the very least, as an evil duder. And Paul even goes all the way to say meddler. Um... And so in that, in that kind of four little things, he says you don't need to be suffering for the worst of sins, but you also don't be, need to be suffering for the least of sins. Um, either way, you don't want to tarnish the name of Christ that you now bear. Um, and so in all things, we need to make sure that if we are suffering, we're not suffering because we are shaming the glory and calling of God to bear his name. Um, because the way of the wicked is easy. As we look, it's, it's easy enough to be sinful in this world. It's hard to walk the path that we're called to. Um, and so as we, as we walk through this life, as we're tempted to sin, we don't need to give in to it because we have received a greater calling. And it's cool because um, God doesn't leave us alone to do that. Again, we have the Spirit um, and we have Christ to continue His direct direct us back to his path. Um, but again, as Paul's warning us that you can't suffer for the sake of sin. Um, and what does it look like to despise the name of Christ? Um, what does it look like to suffer for the sake of sin? I mean, basically, it hurts your testimony. It hurts your testimony to the church, to the body, and it hurts your testimony to the world. It hurts your testimony to God himself, um, who's called you to something greater. 
Um, it shows that you don't love him as he has loved you. It shows that you don't love people as he loved others. Um, and so now, if you're suffering for sin, um, basically, the shame of being guilty now rests upon you instead of the satisfaction um, of victory in Christ. Um, it's, which one are you going to choose pretty much there? Um, are you going to... Are you going to live in a guilty manner because of grace, or are you going to live in a worthy manner because of grace? Um, which one is it going to be? And Paul is not really leaving a room for a choice because there is a right choice. Um, and he gets to it in verse 16, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but should glorify God in that name. We should be unashamed to suffer. should be unashamed to suffer. Um, and it's... Funny, because Peter's well acquainted with this idea. Um, He's well acquainted with being ashamed for the name of Christ. He's the one who denied him three times um, in front of a servant girl, not even really anyone who is threatening. Um, But he he knows what it's like to be ashamed because of Christ, and he knows what it's like um, to carry that guilt and that burden. Um, And so we can look to that, we can look to that and say, Peter knows this well. He knows what he's talking about. But we can also look to the example of Peter to know that if we do transgress and if we do, in a matter of fact, shame the glory of Christ because we don't suffer well or we suffer for sin, that Jesus restored Peter too. In John 21, he forgave him. He restored him. Um, and look how he used him to build the church. Um, and so we can also look to grace, um, Lord we can also look to grace to sustain us when we fail. Um, and I think we all know that well. Um, <sighs> excuse me. So, <coughs> don't be ashamed of the glory of Christ. Um, don't be ashamed to suffer for that name if that's what you're indeed called to do. Um, and so, instead of bearing a testimony um, one of sin, of bearing a testimony of condemnation. Instead, bear a testimony to the justice and grace of God. And that's the, verse, that's the theme of verses 17 through 18. Um, and when I read this for the first time, I'll confess that it was a little surprising to me to read about the judgment of God being brought in um, as, I don't know, as something to be considered when you suffer. Um, it's not a strange thing. Um, the Lord has given us evident has given us evidence of that in the Old Testament. Um, just a few examples, Ezekiel 9, Jeremiah 11, Isaiah 1 through 6, pretty much any of the, the 12 minor prophets, minor prophets that you read also carry some sort of way in which God is basically saying, you are my people, you've turned away from me, you've disobeyed my commandments, this is my judgment upon you. So to be the people of God and receive God's judgment isn't a strange thing. Um, I mean, we're not Israel, and so we also have to think about this side of the cross, what it looks like for us to receive God's judgment in suffering, um, because it's there, it's evident. Um, Peter's already touched on it once earlier in the book, um, but basically the Lord's judgment upon sin in the life of a believer is evidenced in discipline, in the refining of faith by fire. Um, And so basically as we're called to be as we're called to be sons, um, we receive discipline and correction from the Father because we're not yet what we're supposed to be. 
we've been called righteous, but we're not yet fully righteous. And so as he calls, as he calls our sin out of us in judgment, he's refining us into the person that we will be one day, fully glorified with him. Um, there's a passage in Hebrews that I think really explains us well. Um, so I'm going to read it real quick. Um, y'all can turn there if you want. Um, but it's Hebrews 12, um, 3 through 13. Um, and again, it start, it's starting with the example of Christ, which is key to this whole thing. For consider him who endured, su- who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son whom he receives. Endure it as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even, to, even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to us, speaking of earthly fathers. But He, the Heavenly Father, does it for our benefit, so that we can share His holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness, to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. And so, discipline produces sanctification um, and that is the evidence of God's judgment in your life. Um, And so what this does, and this is a crazy picture, um, it allows us to speak about God's justice to the unbeliever in the judgment of sin because we ourselves experience it as discipline. He's calling sin out of ourselves and he's correcting us and refining our faith as in fire to yield something that's better than gold, as Paul has already talked about. Um, but the better thing is the glory to be revealed at the end of time. Um, and so I know that in my life when I've undergone trials that sin within me has always been revealed. Every time, every time I've struggled in the faith, um, every time I've seemed to have turned my back on God, grown distant, and my life has taken a downturn because of it, it's because there's been sin. And in bringing me back from that, God shows me not condemnation, but grace in making me into something He wants me to be. And should we not also rely on Him um, for just the... just Every good thing, just every good thing. Um, And so we can speak to this. Um, We can speak to this to unbelievers, and unbelievers need to know about the judgment of God um, and say, look, judgment is here on sin. It exists because God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. But he gives grace and he gives life um, because that is his for, for his ultimate glory and for your ultimate good. Um, he gives life to the dead. Um, should we not turn to him for everything good? Um, and the thing that I love most about this, this teaching right here, um, that we would, 
undergo the judgment of God and discipline for our sin is that it gives meaning to our suffering. It gives meaning to it. If you suffer in this world without God, it seems senseless. It seems senseless. It doesn't seem like there's a reason for it because without God, really, there's, there's not. There's no way to, to turn someone better to say, hey, God is doing this for my good. God is doing this for his glory. Therefore, I know that in my life, as I undergo discipline, I'm in turn giving glory to God, growing in my faith, growing together with the body, and calling unbelievers in um, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of also that they may receive grace. It gives meaning to suffering. Without God, there's no meaning to suffering. Without Christ, there's no meaning to suffering. Because Christ perfected suffering, he perfected obedience in suffering, so that we may also glorify God as he did perfectly. And so, let us remember that, let us remember that in receiving the judgment of discipline, that we are not under God's condemnation, we are under his grace as a believer. And so that's a tough message then for those who don't know Christ. If you're under his judgment, then you, you're not under grace because you've not confessed him as Lord, you've not confessed Christ as Savior. Your judgment instead will look like condemnation. And God will be just in that too because God is a just judge of all sin and the believer and the unbeliever. Calvin's got a great quote about this. Um, so I'm going to kind of finish this section with his quote um, because I think it nails this teaching right on the head. It says, Since all afflictions derive their origin from sin, this thought ought to occur to the godly. I am indeed worthy to be visited by the Lord with this and even greater punishment for my sins. But now he would have me suffer for righteousness as though I were innocent, again bringing the innocence of Christ in. However much the saints may acknowledge their own faults, yet since they look to a different end in persecutions, such as the Lord sets before them, they feel that their guilt is blotted out and abolished before God. On this behalf, they have reason to glorify God. It then is a sweet consolation that God does not execute His judgments on us as on others, but that He marks us with the personality of His own Son, so that we only suffer for his cause and his name. And so we have meaning in our suffering. And so when we do suffer, however that looks, if it looks like outside persecution, if it just looks like trial, that there is meaning to it, and that meaning is growing in you a faith that is, in the end, more than we can imagine because we are still in sin here, but that faith is being that faith is preparing us for our glory to be revealed at the last time um, because Christ is King. And so in all of this, we have verse 19. It says, So those who suffer according to God's will should in doing good entrust themselves to a faithful creator. And so God is moving you on towards glory. Even in suffering, he is sovereign over your life, um, and that includes suffering. And I don't usually acknowledge that. I don't usually acknowledge that when I suffer. My gut 
reaction is to ask God why I should suffer. Um, but Peter says, hey, those who suffer according, those who suffer, suffer according to God's will. And so that gives, that gives me comfort because that means he's sovereign over all my life. Again, he's working for my good. Um, he alone has the wisdom to do this. Um, he's trustworthy. Um, he knows best. Job is the greatest example of this. Um, and it's funny because I love how Peter calls God the faithful creator. Um, again, he's creator of all things. He's God of all and above all, and it's his right. Um, it's his perfect free will to make this happen as he sees fit. But again, because he is a faithful God, a perfect God, a holy God, he will always work for his glory and our good. And so, and so we continue in obedience. We continue in obedience to him um, because he perfects our faith through suffering. Um, and again, we have the example of Jesus in this. Um, Hebrews 5.8 talks about this, that he was the one um, who suffered and his obedience was perfected through suffering while he was on this earth. Um, seems to reference Gethsemane, and I think that's right on. Um, and so we do good. Um, we do good to each other, and we do good to all. Um, we do good to God by obeying him as faithful children. Um, we obey God by calling others to himself. We obey God by unifying together around him as a church and worshiping him um, for who he is. Um, and just as kind of finally... To close out this thing, um, there are other ways that other faiths will suffer. Um, I think it's important to recognize that Christians shouldn't go looking to get martyred or to suffer. Um, We aren't masochists. uh, We're not suicide bombers. That's not our style. Um, We seek the good of others even as they kill us. And persecute us because our greatest need has been met, and our greatest satisfaction is not in life, but it's in Christ. We live faithfully to the point where we die faithfully, and that's the life we are called to do. It's the life we are called to live. Um, and I know, especially as I read this last verse, especially among my generation as a Christian, because I've asked this question many times for myself: is I ask, what is God's will for my life? Um, and I think it's important to consider that, that will could include suffering and could even include death for his sake. And I think we have to be ready to accept that call as it comes because we must be obedient to the end. Um, or am I ready to accept that is the question I ask myself, and I also pose that question to you. Are you ready to accept that? Are you ready to accept death for the sake of Christ? Peter writes these things because the people here aren't necessarily having that happen to them. But again, verse 12, don't be surprised. Be prepared. Be ready because it's coming. It's happening. This is who you are in the world. You're not of the world. The world's hated you because it's hated Christ. And so get ready when it comes upon you and be ready despite the extent it comes upon you. Um, Either way, be faithful. Be faithful to me continue in my will, continue to do good that I may be glorified 
And so another, th- another important thing to remember is that we're not suffering alone. Paul doesn't write this letter to a single person. He writes it to groups of believers around Asia Minor. He's written similar things in 1 Corinthians where he wrote to a church. And so we don't suffer alone as a Christian. We suffer together as a body. And we're reminded this, especially by the table, especially by the table, where you look at Christ's body broken, where you look at his blood spilled. And that's the life we are called into. It's not merely a sign of, a sign of his victory. It's a sign of the life that he lived. It's a life that we're also called to live. And so as we gather as the church around the table, we're reminding each other of that life, of the fact that we are also called to live as Christ lived, to share in his sufferings, that we might also share in his glory. And so we also need to remember to devote time to the word and to prayer in the midst of suffering as well, because it's the, it's the promises of Scripture, and it's the promises of the one who inspired Scripture that are going to get it through. They're going to get us through these things. Um, those are the things that are going to sustain our faith through trials, is the promises of the word, and communion with the Lord, both personally, corporately. He's given us all these things so that we might endure to the end, so that we might have eternal life, that we might have victory, that we may lay hold of it alongside him. And finally, I think it's important to remember that suffering is also missional. As someone who, as someone who calls himself a Christian, part of your life is to obey the Great Commission that we see in Matthew 28, um, to go and make disciples of all nations. God is calling his people to himself. He's doing that. He's active in that work, and he's active through the church. He's doing that through us. And so we do it, not, we do it by speech, we do it by action, but we also need to do it in the midst of our suffering. We have to picture Christ, and we have to picture We have to picture what Christ did. We have to give glory to Christ, and we have to speak to his victory even as we go through the darkest times, even as we're being killed by the outside world, even as we're shunned by them, because we know where our victory is, and we know where our glory lies, and we have a king who did not stay dead, but who rose again. And, you know, you say it, and you're like, wow. Christ is risen. And you're like, that's our hope. He is our king. He's coming back. And so we live as he lived. We might die as he died. Um, But in the end, he is all worth it. He is all worth it. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to pray for us that we might obey these things, that we might consider these things. it's heavy, so let it work into you. Um, let it work into you. Dear Father, dear Father, Lord, um, we're not worthy to receive these things. We're not worthy to receive your grace. We're not worthy to receive your love. Because, Father, from... Lord, we were, we were, were lost. We were lost. And, Father, you, you gave us a way back not that we merited any of it because, Father, we were the farthest from you. We were the most distant. We had turned our backs on you. We had turned our lives to other things, to pursuing other gods. 
And Father, you made yourself known to us by Christ. And Father, that through him that we might have your righteousness, that we might also have one day glory at your side. And that, Father, all things in this world are lost compared to the, to the glory yet to be revealed. And Father, let us, or Father, let us think faithfully on the words of a certain hymn that's one of my favorites that says, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ had regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. May we think well, may we live well in light of this. And Father, we just thank you for everything that you've given us. Thank you for this church. May we live well for you.